One of us has to decide how to start this show again this week. Oh, shit, that's right. We can't... Oh, we can't depend upon the force of chaos. Yeah, see, every week I make the topic list for this show, and I'm like, okay, I've got everything planned out, I've got all the structure, I never do an intro. Why would you? It's just not my, my, my job, and now... You're Bailiwick. Yeah, now, now we're left here, floundering, unsure how to start... A video game podcast called Pogquisition. Floundering. Now, that's a really interesting movie starring James LaGrosse. Uh, I want to say it came out in 1994. I caught it on Comedy Central, like, at 2 a.m. for some reason. And the only reason I tuned into it was because it starred James LaGrosse, who you obviously know was who they replaced A. Michael Baldwin uh, for in the second Phantasm movie. Universal got the distribution rights and started, you know, pushing, putting some pressure on Coscarelli and forced a recast. A. Michael Baldwin comes back for the rest of the series, but James LeGrosse does actually a really solid job of trying to you know, recreate who that character was initially in the sequel, you know, just it, like aged up 10 years. Really a solid performance. And Floundering is kind of interesting too. He's just this sort of, you know, uh, directionless Gen Xer moving around Los Angeles on a bike, not really sure of, of where he's going and it's this strange sort of existential thing um kind of dramatic a little weird that it was on comedy central because i don't know that it was funny the sheer temptation to just let you do this for the whole hour was very very (laughs) tempting see how long you could go without stopping but i think i'm gonna let everyone know hey we're doing another episode where it's it's me and Conrad this week. <laughs> Welcome to the Podquisition with your host, Mari. I've always been your host of the Podquisition. If you remember something differently, you're making things up in your head, and that's the Mandela effect. Yeah. I've always been the host of Podquisition. This is a Berenstein Bears situation. Mari has always been here, and we will have no one ever say that there's anything different to that. Here with my co-hosts, Laura and Conrad. Oh, y- yes, your co-hosts, I suppose. Yes, yes, yes. yes. It's true. Uh, Hey, Mari, how are you? I'm well. As you all know, after hearing me many times on this podcast, I'm Mari. I co-host the Geek Remix channel on Twitch and YouTube. I also do other useless things that nobody cares about. But uh, And I also co-host a podcast with Laura called Pixel Squirt. We look at video game porn. It's weird. It's weird. And I no longer have any idea what's vanilla or kinky at all. Five Nights at Freddy's broke me. I I look at I look up the porn that we're supposed to look at every week and I have no idea what the weird stuff is anymore. This isn't a joke. It's made dating hard. Us doing that show has completely like broken the barometer of like Yeah, 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 fine. I'll look at a lot of stuff now and just go, yeah, sure. Apparently <laughs> I'm into giantesses and feet now. I didn't know that before, but I am now. That's that's what you learn from video games. That's big video game fats right there. Yeah. Yeah, You're true. also on, on Dice Funk this upcoming season that starts on Sunday, season eight. Yes, yes. What can I say about that? What are we allowed to talk about? Uh, I, you're on it. That's probably you're on it. it. You're on it, and it's season eight, and everyone should check that out on Sunday. It's a self-contained story, so like you can just jump in on Sunday's you know new episode, season eight, episode one, and you'll know everything you need to know. It's it's great. It's perfection. It's Dungeons and Dragons. And there's, there's titties in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, technically, you are correct. There are technically some titties in this season. Under what context, you will find out. Ah, uh, so what, welcome welcome to Podquisition. Vi- video games are ostensibly why we're here. But are they great or are 
are they perfect? Exactly. Are they great or are they perfect? And no political opinions. Who's got a video game they want to start us off with this week? Uh, sure. Te- Comrade, what, what what you been playing? Sure. <laughs> um, so, then, like an hour and a half before we started recording, as I am wont to do. Yeah, yeah, that is the way of Podquisition Day. Um, I did start playing a game that had been on my wish list for a while, and it wound up on sale, and I'm like, yeah, sure, fine. Uh, it's called Littlewood. Hmm, yes, I'm aware of this. I've never played it, but I know it's one of those top-down pixely, kind of looks like a Stardew Valley kind of game. Yeah, well, and it is a kind of like a Stardew Valley kind of game. It's a village sim. Um, it... it Unlike Stardew Valley and a lot of others of that sort, you have sort of full control over the topography in this environment. Ooh. So you can, you know, build higher levels of ground and construct buildings on them and move water features around and, and that. So you have... You can really lay it out exactly how you want, which is neat. It's also zero pressure. Oh. Like... None. It does have a stamina meter, and the stamina meter doubles as the time meter. So actions just take time. But walking around doesn't take time. Talking to people doesn't take time. Okay. But, you know, you want to pull some weeds? Okay, it takes a little bit of time. You want to chop down a tree? It takes a little bit of time. You want to, you know, refine some materials into some new materials? A little bit of time. But you're not going to get punished for, like, spending that time on the wrong thing, quote-unquote. Nope. I really like that concept, because in 2021, I don't want to have even the slightest bit of stress ever. And I like... I like that I don't have to constantly think about the time and the stamina like I do in Harvest Moon, Story of Seasons, and Stardew Valley. So I think that's that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And everything sort of, like a lot of these games, everything operates on cycles. But there's all of the structures that you build that aren't just houses for new residents. And you're constantly getting new residents. And I am not, I'm only a week into the game in terms of its clock. And so I'm expecting to start getting requests on how people might want their house positioned and things like that. Mm. Um, you know, because there, I think there's a, a an upgrade that I'm due to get. I've been told about it, but not delivered unto me uh, an item that goes in the houses that lets you then collect requests from residents to make their lives happier there. And you have a marketplace that you get to build really early on that just lets you sell stuff that you pick up in exchange for the game's currency every day. You just drop the stuff there, you come back in the morning, and you collect your money, you know, and it's not complicated. Um, There's a shop where you can buy new tools and new blueprints and items that recycles a couple times a week. There's a an office where you can do little upgrades twice a week, to your general village, like the number of fruit-bearing trees you can have planted, or the number of crops, or the percentage chance of you getting a rare fish when you go fishing. And it's just a every day you can just pop into these things, and if you have the resources to spend to do an upgrade to a facility, you can do that. Otherwise, it's no big deal. You'll get to it eventually. That's fine. And over time, it's just feeling like it's just building up slowly and casually. The characters are so far kind of interesting. There's certainly been some interactions. You get to go to other regions that are more resource rich to get the things that you need and to get better versions of basic resources by traveling out 
out pretty quickly on. And there's a lot of those it looks like you get to go to eventually as things branches out. There's a lot of game there which I like. There doesn't seem to be much in the way of inventory management yet that I'm having to deal with. I'm not running into upward limits on stuff. I'm not finding that when I want to build something, the resources aren't there, generally speaking, unless it's a new resource that I haven't acquired yet. Um, and even then, I had no problem finding the first of those right away. So it's playing out really well. And then it has the other thing that's kind of neat about it is its narrative is constructed around being set after the events of the big RPG. I love that. Also, can you get gay married and have gaybies? I don't know. But okay. as I was saying with the everyday upgrade thing, that includes talking to people. Uh, you do have levels that you grow relationship levels, just like you grow your skill levels with every action that you perform in the game. At the end of the day, it gives you a little update. So these things leveled up. Once per day, you can compliment someone. And I'm not sure exactly what the effect of that is, if it's just an extra boost to relationship or what. But I like that it's one person per day you get to give that extra attention to. Uh, Mari, I've done some quick research mid-podcast. Um, there is gay dating and marriage. There okay, we go. Thank you can, you can romance any NPC townsfolk and marry them regardless of your gender or theirs. That's awesome. That actually was holding that question in the entire time you were explaining the game. It became like, stronger and stronger <laughs> as you were talking. I was like, I have I to I mean, ask. this is a vital question for city builders. <laughs> I can't let myself get invested in these characters if it's going to turn out I can't get gay. No, because you were sex describing such a cool game to me, especially with the post-RPG which is like kind of like a post-apocalyptic thing. Oh, for sure. At the end of RPGs, it's always a nightmare. But I'm very interested in that aspect, but I was like, I have to ask, can I have gay babies in this game before I even start? And uh, thank you for letting me know, Laura. <laughs> and I guess you're supposed to be the hero who saved the day, but you have no memory of what transpired. And so over time, as more people come to the village and start to tell you stories about your life, uh, it's, I guess, supposed to fill in what happened. Some of it's interesting, though, because there's this one character who keeps talking about all these adventures that we've been on together, but they're always painting themselves as being really heroic in these stories. <laughs> And so I'm really questioning the the reliability of these narratives that I'm receiving. <laughs> but that gives me the energy of the bard from the Witcher TV show on Netflix. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, Littlewood, it's cute, it's fun. I'm I'm enjoying it so far. It is super low stakes, uh visually one of those low detail sprite affairs. Actually reminds me a bit of Streets of Rogue, but less dirty, a little cleaner, a little brighter. I just looked this up to be like, oh, can I get this on Switch? This seems like the kind of game I'd want to play on Switch while doing other stuff. You can get it on Switch in the US, but not in Europe or Australia. Mm. And I'm curious about that now. I mean, it's not going to stop me getting it because I have a, an American right. Switch account and you can region free stuff anyway. I always just find that old one. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to jump through hoops for this game. What's what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's curious. And, and you know, it could be a ratings thing. Um, yeah. It could be all any number of things. They've, they've done a lot to make it easier uh, on all the platforms mm. for indies to publish. But um, every once in a while, you do run into one of those. Uh you, Mario? What have you been playing recently that you fancy chatting about? I've been playing a lot of different video games, but 
Uh, one that stands out for me that I think a lot of people might want to hear about is Calico. Oh, yeah. I love this. Mm. I uh, got a key for it, just full transparency. And I really like it because it appeals to a very specific type of like fantasy and need. And I don't want to label it as like, you know, feminine or masculine because, you know, that's out the window. Yeah. Um, but it's about running a cat cafe on an island full of like cute witches. And there's like a cute lesbian couple on a hill and they grow flowers together. I'm obsessed with them. Yeah. And you go around and you unlock new areas slowly by doing quests for all the witches. And you get like this little diary that shows all their pronouns and stuff. So you don't like get them mixed up and it says what they like and don't like. So you can put that in your little witch cafe. And you run around and you pick up animals and you're like, come on, live at my cafe so that more people will come to your cafe. And like you can just pick up a polar bear <laughs> or whatever. Oh. And and then you tell the polar bear to go to your house. And But like when you pick up the animals. So the game is an indie game and there's no like bugs or game breaking bugs, but it. It's indie. It's a little rough around the edges in places, but like not in a way that stopped me having a good time. Yeah. It's just got some some unpolished corners on it. But in a really fun way. So like all the animals <sighs> have the same animation for like playing with Are the you cat about toy? to talk about the raven? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. So I streamed some of this game when it came out, and yeah, as Mari was saying, all of the animals have the same I'm on my back playing with like a little toy that's being dangled above me animation. And for the cats that works fine the raven has the same animation but it doesn't quite fit on the floor properly so it looks like it's break dancing just spins around on its back flapping its wings trying to play with the toy and it's amazing i love that raven so much i know and then did you know if you put the raven on your head and then jump off a cliff it slow falls you <gasps> i didn't yeah, know that different animals have different buffs for putting on your <laughs> head and then if you put a like a little like uh, uh like you know reindeer antlers or whatever on your head you know like a headband and you put the animal on your head the animal gets the headband and then when you take it off that animal continues to have that headband <gasps> exactly oh. exactly it's amazing i've also been doing mythic plus keys in shadowlands world of warcraft and my guild is getting ready for burning crusade it has been ages since i've been into world of warcraft how is world of warcraft doing these days uh, <laughs> you know it's world of warcraft but now i exclusively only play with married fathers and I've never been more relaxed. Yeah. It's so chill. There's no pressure. It's just completely unavailable dudes just hanging out. And I'm like, this is so relaxing. Was was this deliberately sought out? Or did you just accidentally fall into the circle of married, married men doing raids? They all just eventually got married and had kids. <laughs> I've never been more relaxed. I love it. The existing raid group just all married off. And now it's like, ah, oh, now, now I can just... Not worry about it. Yeah, I'm so relaxed <laughs> and they're so chill. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is amazing. I love it. I've, unfortunately, I've been offered potentively the position of co raid lead. I don't want to do it, but oh, I feel no. like that it's sounds that like responsibility. <laughs> that's the that role. That sounds like if, if the raid goes badly, it's your fault, and that sounds bad. <laughs> I have to take care of who gets loot in Burning Crusade. Hopefully, I am vetoed, and everyone votes no. <laughs> can you can you not veto yourself? <laughs> no, because because nobody else wants to do it. <laughs> and if I don't 
won't do it, then the real raid lead won't want to do it, and then we won't be able to play. Um, I've also been playing Little Nightmares 2, the medium, which was super cool. Highly recommend if you like spoopy games, but look up a trigger warning list. You know, go to the, one of those websites that tells you all of them. I, I recommend if you're ever after trigger warning stuff for games, uh, does the does the dog die.com is a very good comprehensive website for that kind of stuff. Yeah, so for Little Nightmares 2 and The Medium, I would recommend looking up trigger warnings for both of those. But I really enjoyed them, but I also know that it might be upsetting for some people. So, yeah. uh, I've been playing something this week. Really? That's unusual. I know, me playing video games, goodness. So I finally got around to playing Outer Wilds this mm. week. And I keep having to look at this document to get the name of it right. So that you don't say Outer Worlds, right? Yeah, the Outer Worlds or Outer Wilds. So I'm going to talk about a thing that happens very early in Outer Wilds that I don't know if it's considered a spoiler, but the game's been out two years and I think I'm going to be able to have a more interesting conversation with people about why this game's interesting if I just talk about it. Hmm. So Outer Wilds is a space exploration game that is essentially a roguelike. Uh, You are off to just, you know, go explore space. It's a nice little adventure. Your little hometown has sent you off to just go see what the what you know what's going on in the solar system you got your little spaceship and 22 minutes into your journey the sun explodes and you start over again at the beginning of a time loop okay and it is a time loop game about exploring a finite number of planets and trying to work out what's going on with this time loop and how do you fix it in terms of games that like feel applicable to compare it to my first instinct was to compare it to minute uh, which is that sort of uh, top-down game where every 60 seconds you die and you have to start over. I mean, it is similar to that in in the sense of you have a time limit that you know exists and you're basically trying to find something new, work something else out, make some kind of progress before the loop resets. But I think it's probably more comparable to something like The Sexy Brutal in that... Everything that goes on in across all these little planets throughout the solar system happens the same way every time loop at fixed points in time. And a big part of working out the mystery is not stressing about the one individual loop you're in. You're going to have failed loops. It's fine. But instead being like, what if I just like come to this planet and this this thing is happening? What if I just hang out here for a bit and see what that does? It's about being in the right place at the right time to see things happen. It's about working out the order that you should probably be doing events in order to go from one thing to the next. It is very, very freeform in the way it's put together. It doesn't give you any real pointers other than like initially, hey, maybe go talk to that person who's up on that moon over there. Maybe they'll know something and... They'll give you a tool that lets you detect sound from various points in space, and you'll maybe be able to find a couple of sounds and go, oh, I'm curious what that sound is. Let's go investigate that. And I feel like if you knew what was going on and the route, you could probably finish this game very, very quickly. It is just a case of, no, just kind of follow follow the leads where they take you and try and work out what this universe has to offer. And... I'm about five hours deep into it so far. The game has done a really good job of keeping track of what threads I have so far uncovered and how they connect to each other and giving me pointers of what things I might want to go back and double check. 
you get in your ship this sort of cork board that's basically the conspiracy theory string connecting things together kind of board, but it'll always note on things like, here's this location you found. You haven't worked out all of the mysteries this location holds yet. And it will give you a very clear indication of there is still stuff to discover in this location or with this mystery, and it will let you know okay, you've worked that thing out, don't feel like you have to keep sticking with that one, you've got what you needed to from there. Which has helped me to not feel like I'm floundering with choice paralysis. It's allowed the choices I've made to lend some structure to a very open experience. I am very curious to see how it finishes. It's one of those games where, like, I suspect there's going to come a point soon where I'm going to start getting stuck. Where I'm going to be like, I need to do something and I don't know what it is and I'm a bit lost, but... Five hours or so in, I am still finding lots of open-ended threads that I'm very curious about, and yeah, I understand why people really like this game, and I'm definitely going to be sticking with it for a bit. Well, you've ignited my interest, and it reminds me of this indie game I played years and years ago off of Itch.io, and I'm so sorry I don't remember it, but if somebody does listening to this, please let me know so I can give it credit. But it was the same concept of that, but you were just in this, like, city, and it's about, like, the last minute of a civilization before its destruction, and then everything's in, like, slowed down time, and the point is just to explore it before it's gone forever. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, when they do, like, it's almost the end of the world, go back. You know, uh, Majora's Mask kind of low, run, low, low, run stuff. Yeah. It's neat. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's one I'm trying to remember the name of now that was a um, an indie game that was made by, I believe it was Anna Entropy, that was called something like um, Lesbians at the End of the World or something. And it was a little text adventure that only lasted, I think, 60 seconds. And it was just you and someone you've got a crush on can see the blast coming in the distance. What do you do with your last 60 seconds? That reminds me of all the people sending their crushes texts that they love them before went in Hawaii when they accidentally set out an alert that a nuclear bomb was coming. Aww. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, yeah. Everybody like like sent each other messages being like, I'm in love with you. We're going to die in 30 minutes. It's so heartwarming to hear what people will do when they think that they won't live another hour. Yeah. Unfortunately, my family was like, oh, that must be a mistake. And like, <laughs> didn't do anything. But, um, like, I, one time I heard the story about one of them was, like, sent a message to their quest, and they're like, oh, I love you, too. And then when they found out that it wasn't, like, they're not going to die. Oh, no. Their crush said, oh, I just said that because I thought we were going to die. Oh, no. I actually have a crush on you. But, like, they cared enough to lie, you know? Oh. That's, like, a true buddy. Be like, yeah, I'm in love with you, too. Not really. I found the one I was thinking of. It was by Anna Entropy, and it's called Queers in Love at the End of the World, and it's 10 seconds rather than a minute, but it's 10 seconds, text adventure, go. Oh. How do you spend your last 10 seconds? It's a really cute little game. It's worth checking out. But yeah, Outer Wilds is really, really good. I I hope that I don't reach the point that I often do with these kind of games where I'm like, I'm stuck now, goodbye, and stop playing it. Mm. When I get stuck, I, I allow myself the ability to look up a hint. Honestly, I'm enjoying this one enough that like, if I do find myself doing that rather than get frustrated with it, I might just go, okay, 
let's look up enough of a walkthrough that I can find something I hadn't found before and let that hopefully get me moving again. Yeah, I've I decided that I no longer wish to challenge myself even a little bit, and I've never been happier. Yeah, why, what, you know? The- yeah. Let yourself be happy. Don't don't force yourself to be like, yeah, but I have to, have to do this. Yeah, now when I'm frustrated, I just ask for help. Yeah. yeah, I go to the point at which I begin to feel frustrated with it, and then I do one of two things. I either stop playing because I've determined that this frustration is going to persist for the remainder of my experience, and I'm done, or I go find a thing that resolves that minor frustration and move on with my life. Exactly. Yeah, I don't have anything to prove to anyone. Because I no longer care, and it's 2021, and nothing matters. 2021, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm, I've never been more at peace. And for, a lot of it for me is, uh, I mean, maybe I will never be good enough at some of these things to do, you know, like challenging hard mode shit. But I've also reached a point in my life where I have a limited amount of time to decide what things I want to get good at. Yeah. Time is precious. Why waste it on something you're not having a good time with? Yeah. The only hard thing I'm doing these days is Mythic Plus Keys. And instead of thinking like being stressed out about making the timer or like, oh, like we're over the timer, but we need to get finish this key for the end of the week. I think... I get to spend time with my friends doing an activity together rather than being like, I have to do this really hard thing. So I'm just like, no, I get to hang, I get to help my friends do something that they like and we get to spend time together. Uh, Yay. Yeah, I'm just trying to be vibes only. Comrade, have you played anything else you want to chat about this week? Yeah, I, uh, I played a game called Toho Luna Nights. I found this on Xbox Game Pass. Okay. I was like, Oh, Playism published it. Well, all right. I'll try just about any side-scrolling platformer Playism decided that they were going to put out. Uh, I guess this came out in September of last year. And it's a Metroidvania, you know, sort of a 16-bit sprite art look to it. Real responsive controls. Has all of the, you know, box standard stuff, the gated map areas that you need upgrades for new movement options to access and so forth. But it has a couple of things that sort of distinguish it. Uh, It has an MP bar that all of your attacks are tied to. All of them? All of them. Huh. Okay. And that is a bit onerous in some respects, but the way it kind of counterbalances that is it has what it calls a graze system. Where if you edge close to enemies or edge close to projectiles, you'll get a bit of a restoration of health and magic. Oh, ha. Huh. So that that explains I, my, my first question was what happens if you run out of MP? Can you not attack? And it does regenerate slowly over time. And there are uh, vending machines with soda that will replenish health and magic. But they're, they're just trying to push you to play, you know, close to the action. Yeah, um, it. It's pretty generous with where it puts those things in the map. Um, like a Metroidvania kind of needs to be, especially if it's aiming to be challenging. And this is aiming to be challenging. But I, I also like that it has kind of an emphasis on the Vania in that uh, it's sub-weapon based. So you'll have, uh, instead of getting a bunch of like special attack abilities tied to your initial weapon, you'll get skills that are unlocked and you can have one active at a time and you can cycle through them. That's kind of hard to do in a combat situation unless you know exactly where it is that you want to switch to. 
Uh, and so it feels a bit like having that axe or, you know, the cross or the holy water in Castlevania. You have that one extra attack that you could have something else. It's just a little more flexible in that you get to choose which one you want at any time. Um, I like that. The other big mechanic is that you can stop time. Oh, yeah. I'm always a big fan of a good time stop mechanic. <laughs> you get the time stop very early on. Apparently, this is an aspect of your character's just natural abilities, and that's been restricted in this world that you've been put in. Ah. And so what happens is you press a button and time stops. And you have like 20 seconds, probably, maybe, full to, you know, of just stopped time. Now you can attack while time is stopped. You can use all of your abilities while time is stopped. And rather than deplete your MP, it depletes the amount of time stop power that you have, which regenerates faster. And then when time resumes, all of those attacks that you laid out execute. It's neat. Huh. Yeah, that does sound really cool. It, it has a lot of application opportunities. It has a lot of puzzle opportunities that it demonstrates very quickly on with rotating things that you have to stop time and still like squeak through a jump or slide through in order to, you know, progress on. Uh, it makes really good use of that stuff. It's tough. It makes no bones about that, but it does at least checkpoint fairly often. The save points will bring you back with full health and MP, even, you know, if when you passed them last, didn't have it and, you know, get restore from it. You know, it does little things that, that help give you a little push. You do level over time to do more damage, but I think that uh, hit points and magic points have to be uh, item based because I haven't seen any increases to that yet. It's pretty cool. I'm kind of enjoying it a lot and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to pushing further in. I've done one boss encounter and, you know, once I realized, oh, wait, yeah, I can stop time. That got interesting mm. because then I'm just, you know, they would block all my frontal attacks, but I'd put them, I'd fire one so they'd put the block up, stop time, jump around them, lay a torrent on the other side and flick it back on. They take that hit and then on we go dodging and replenishing MP to lay out additional combat in the moment. It's just really fun. I'm, I'm quite pleased with it. Yeah. Toho Luna Nights. I'm sure it's other places, but it's it's on Game Pass. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I like that it has all those cool, like, different mechanics. I like hearing about games with really cool mechanics where you can do a lot of really cool things. I don't have the gamer dexterity to do it, but I love hearing about it. Oh, I'm losing it. Oh. <laughs> Over time, it is gradually bleeding out of me i sometimes have games like that where i'm like i will watch someone else play this and talk about what they're doing and have a fantastic time and then be like i can't make my hands do that oh sure this is great to see uh the last one i can remember playing like that was my friend pedro yes where i was i you know i played it for like 20 minutes i was like you know i bet this is really cool in the hands of somebody who's up to it but i'm not that person yeah oh um I was worried about talking too much in a podcast that I was invited to be on. Um, <laughs> but I really has any has this, this podcast discussed the medium yet? Yeah, we have a bit. Okay, so then it's not necessary. Uh, I I I I played it and I had really weird mixed feelings about it. I wanted to like it a lot. And I was going to play it, and then I heard her weird mixed feelings about it and just said, Are nah. you talking about the weird story? 
the weird story. Yeah, like that's the the thing that turned me off. It is the some of the implications that the story makes about like trauma leading to people doing bad things and the consequences of how that that should play out were a bit un- yeah. So I was really worried about that, but there is a few lines from who I will call Ghost Daddy, and you will know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where they specifically say, like, I don't care. And, like, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter that you did went through this, because you also hurt people. Yeah. With, without getting into spoilery thoughts, I liked a lot of that game's tone and setting and atmosphere more than I liked the specifics of the plot it was telling. Because, like, it did a really good job with its atmosphere and its mood building and its performances. It was just... I couldn't quite shake something that felt weird and uncomfortable about it. No, I I understand because halfway through the game when some stuff was coming up, I was getting, like, really agitated. And because we were live streaming, people were like, why are you getting so upset? I was like, because I played the disappearance of Rachel Foster and I'm ready to get let down right now. Yeah. But it didn't do a disappearance of Rachel Foster at the very least. Yeah, that's that's that is a minimum bar it got across. <laughs> yeah, it didn't do the disappearance of Rachel Foster thing. And I was like, all right, so we're not doing that. At least it's not doing that. Because it's like it's like I'm wondering because people in the chat also brought up that the same themes come out up in other games from this developer. Yeah. So it's like. I liked the game, but I also understand that there are problematic elements to it. Yeah. You know? Here's here's the thing. Again, I don't think I'd be so bothered by the narrative elements in the medium if it wasn't for the fact that some of these are recurring repeated themes from Bloober Team when they make games. And Mm -hmm. if this was one game from them making the sort of implication it seems to be making, you could maybe write it off as that's not what they were going for. It's an accidental side effect of the way they tried to tell their horror story. But it does seem like it's a recurring thing that it's like, hey, wouldn't wouldn't this be a great idea for like, isn't this type of person really scary and dangerous? And that's a bit icky. My interpretation from their games, is it okay to say what I think their themes are? Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Is the theme of uh, the cycle of abuse or the cycle of trauma (sighs) beginning abuse. And while in essence, that's an interesting and fair thing to say, it also ignores the fact that statistically, most people who have been abused don't like continue it but also i don't want to ignore the fact that trauma does cause harm like generational trauma and stuff it does but like the the way that that the game's been out a little while i i think the way that that the medium it tries and fails to show the what generational trauma is and yeah. usually generational trauma is, I went through this really hard thing, but I'm going to try my best not to do it. But then now I expressed it in a very different way yeah. and messed up. This is not that. Like, this is not that, yeah. yeah. They tried and failed. So It's a weird, complicated game that like I, I had moments where I really wanted to love it. And I just don't feel like I can recommend it without a big list of caveats. It's one of those. That's why I said look up trigger warnings. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Did you play anything else this week you wanted, uh, or recently that you wanted to talk about before we get on to newsy bits? Just playing Little Might No Airs 2. Very solid, tight game. I like it. Haven't finished it yet. 
So I played the first one. It was a good enough. It was a, it was a good, enjoyable game. It, it, is there anything particularly different about the sequel, or is it just here's more little nightmares? It is very interesting, uh, and I can't say there's more story in it. That if you really enjoyed Little Nightmares one, I would highly recommend Little Nightmares two, because it is also a game about World War two and trauma and traumatized children. Both of, both of those games are, and it's like you can think about it and be like, well, what does this mean? Blah blah blah. So I enjoy it in that it shows the horrors of war and what I. I think is a respectful way and how like it can turn you into from something innocent into something like not. And I like it. I need to get around to it. I, I like the first one enough. It's just making time for it is the thing. Yeah. I just really enjoy the setting and stuff. And of course, you know, with topics like this, I'm totally open to people disagreeing with me. Yeah. Horror, horror is a subjective thing. <laughs> Yeah, other than that, like, I'll very quickly flip through the other things I did. Uh, I finished playing through Bowser's Fury. I went and collected all the shines. There's quite a cute little reward for going and doing that. I very much like that once you reach a certain percentage of completion in that particular Mario game, they just on the map turn on little points on the map to go, here's where the remaining shines are. We Aww. won't tell you how to get them, but we will just put some points to go like, hey... There's one around here somewhere. Go investigate here and find something to do. That's nice. That's just nice. And that's the thing. I like that they didn't do it straight away, but they're like, look, you've cleared enough of these now that you're probably trying to clean them all up and, and finish it up. We're just going to put like, here's a point on the map. We won't tell you how to get it, but it's somewhere here. And that really made it a lot more palatable to 100%. Yeah. That game is charming and adorable, and I would totally take a full-length Mario game in that style. I really like it as a direction for the series. And I've continued to play Persona 5 Strikers. Um, that continues to be mostly a Persona game with a little bit of Warriors combat in it. There is more depth to the combat than I've been giving it credit for. As I've been getting towards the end of the game... It has really ramped up the difficulty of combat, and one of the main things when you're doing boss fights in Persona 5 Strikers is that bosses will usually have elemental weaknesses that uh, they'll have a bunch of shields before you can damage their health bar, and it's only stuff that is elementally super effective that will get through those shields. I'd been running through my whole magic bar trying to get through those, and just being like, I don't have enough magic to, to get through them. And I eventually realized that, like, depending on which combos you do, certain combos of attacks will end in an elemental uh, attack that doesn't cost you MP, but does have that elemental type on it. And sort of working out, like, oh, okay, for each of these characters, this is the combo that gets me a free elemental hit. Like, really opened up the combat. Yeah, once again, Omega Force, who make the, the, the Warriors games make much better games when they're not making Dynasty Warriors. I can't imagine them putting this much care and attention into a Dynasty Warriors game, and I don't understand why they can make good games when it's other people's properties, but not when it's their own. Maybe they have to put more effort into it since they have to pay for the licensing. They're like, no, we have to try now. Maybe it's just oversight. There's someone looking down their neck and they're like, okay, we got to do our good work for this one. <laughs> Maybe they just don't care about Dynasty Warriors anymore. They're like, I want to make a Persona game. That seems more fun. Wait, what if that, that's genuinely how, how they want to make it they're like now we can do it our way and everyone's like this is terrible <laughs> <laughs> 
So we've got some news stories for this week. Let's start going through the news. Mm, boy. Let's start with the Anthem story. Uh, before we get into this, I have to do disclosure. I have done some work with Bioware. I cannot talk about what that is until it it happens. But just for disclosure, that's not going to stop me from being critical of Bioware and talking about stories like this, but I, I'll let you know. So Anthem was a live service shooter from Bioware that... Uh, released and was not very good. It had a big roadmap of content that was like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna support it for years and years. And they got one act into their three acts, you know, roadmap and promptly announced they weren't going to be making updates for that game anymore because no one was playing it. I have a question for both Anthem and Mass Effect Andromeda, to which they sold season mm. passes for. Did they ever refund that? when nope. they? So they didn't nope. refund nope. the fact that they delivered nothing. Yeah, this is an important thing to be aware of. When you buy a live service game, you are not entitled to any money back if they just don't update it. I don't have a problem with buying like what I consider to be a subscription for games that I know are going to do things, like from other companies, which is irrelevant right now. But after those two things, it makes me not trust the corporate side of Bioware in terms of giving me content that I subscribe to. Yeah, that is that is fair. This is the thing with any live service. If you pick up a live service game, do so knowing that it might never have its roadmap done. So a little while after they announced Anthem wasn't going to get any content, I think it was about the start of last year, they announced Anthem Next, which was going to be their big push to resuscitate the game and give it a big fresh breath of life they were gonna uh, revamp a bunch of systems and add a bunch of content and uh they're gonna they're gonna make anthem they were gonna bring it back it was gonna be big they were gonna fix it and we got the news this week initially via uh, jason schreier over at bloomberg that development on anthem next had been cancelled is anyone surprised that they cancelled no. this year of development that went nowhere no yeah there are examples that exist of games that have managed to do this, that have released in a bad state and have done the big relaunch and it has actually worked. Plural? There's like two or three examples ever that I think I, I can think of. The big one is Final Fantasy XIV A Realm Reborn. Give them credit for that. They, they managed it. It is the, the exception rather than the rule. Generally, if your live service game launches and doesn't find its audience straight away... It's never going to be worth the effort it will take to fix it and try and get it back up again. Now, are there other EA published developers slash games who are having this same really bad track record? Or is EA really just screwing this, this studio over? I mean, it's EA doing what EA does, which is acquiring studios and then not letting them operate the way they used to and making them operate the EA way. It is something EA does. <laughs> Although, to be fair, it's questionable how effective BioWare's way of doing things actually was, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... You know, I guess, I, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole fucking Bioware magic bullshit, but, the, you know, yeah. there's a bit of that 
to anyone susceptible uh, to this. Now, EA does have a tremendous track record of, uh, you know, sort of absorbing in, you know, like a Borg thing. They assimilate and the companies that they take on, their games begin to more and more resemble electronic arts games yeah you know they begin to have all of the features you know the connectivity and the online stuff and the passes and the you know dlc and and over and over and over we see this and it's yeah it's another example sadly yeah but again i don't know that bioware was gonna thrive absent ea's acquisition either i mean Mm. i don't know it seems like they needed the shot in the arm and yeah. Well, I really think that the EA Bioware team up did a really good job for Mass Effect 2, and that was like yeah. the perfect blend. And then everything else just died. There was that beautiful moment where Bioware suddenly had the budget to make a Mass Effect 2 into the thing it had the potential to be. Like that shot of EA money certainly didn't hurt Bio uh, Mass Effect 2. I recall they did have dice come in to help with the combat. And I did love the combat of Mass Effect yeah. 1, but having a roll chance to hit when I shot at people made me want to die. <laughs> yeah, Mass Effect 2 so much more playable of a game. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the 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 situation with Anthem is that a bunch of people have spent a year developing a thing that isn't going to get released. They have basically wasted a year on this, and those staff are just being moved over to the next Mass Effect and Dragon Age games, it seems. I just... It's hard for me to want to to even begin to invest myself. Because it's a hit or miss. Like, you'll get Dragon Age 2, and you're like, okay, like, the story's cool. And then you'll get Mass a Dragon Age Inquisition, you're like, this is everything. This is everything I've ever wanted. <laughs> but then you'll get... Mass Effect Andromeda, and you're like, okay, cool, like, I want to like it. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's like, you. I feel like I always think that there's something in there that could have been great, but someone came in with, like, a Wolf of Wall Street suit on and started yelling, <laughs> you know, and I just, <sighs> I just... Yeah. I feel it. You can always tell. Yeah. Well, part of this announcement is apparently that that the studio has looked at games like uh, Jedi Fallen Order and gone, oh, okay, single player, just just do the single player thing that people liked, and people like it, there's a market for it still. Let's just do that again. So hopefully that bodes well for future projects that hopefully they will, you know, follow more in that vein. The absolute last thing I want to do from a studio who's famous for making really immersive single player games where I can have made up friends (laughs) who I can systematically (laughs) manipulate into liking me is for me to be forced to play with other real people that I can't force to like me. Exactly. It breaks the immersion. Those games are not where I want to be to talk to other real people. They are my fantasy world with all my make-believe friends. This is a fantasy world where I make everyone like me by summoning demons and trading a child so (laughs) Alistair will love me. Okay? Guaranteed. (laughs) Are the stories this week... Uh, Epic has acquired Fall Guys developer Mediatonic. I, 
I'm not surprised by this news. No, I can't say I'm shocked that you have a game that successful. The vultures come circling. Yeah, and and a vulture that is already known to own a very popular online multiplayer battle royale type game where you whittle down to just one winner. You know, that's a thing they have in their staple. And uh, the thing I keep coming back to is that Fall Guys are infinitely brandable. Yeah. Infinitely. There is no limit. Yes. None. Yeah, it's a very solid, simple base design. So, and and there's nobody that has better brand relationships right now. Oh, gotcha. So... If you look at all of the ridiculous uh, branded content in Fortnite, that is the future of Fall Guys. I'm sure that there's people being like, oh, they've gone corporate. Whenever things like this happen, I try to be happy for the developer who's probably finally making good money. Oh, agreed. I am super happy for Mediatonic Uh, in this. Yeah, I'm so torn. I'm like really torn. On the one hand, yeah, I I think it's a great opportunity for Mediatonic. Um, They've had, you know, some good games the past this is a real breakout for them it's a huge success they're gonna make tons of money on this deal and on fall guys content to come i mean i'm a little concerned about how invasive some of the stuff would be uh, ultimately but again um, epic may see a good thing working largely leave them to their devices and i've been pretty pleased on the whole while you know i'm not crazy about seeing ninja running around in my fall guys generally speaking i feel like fall guys has been less exploitative in this way so yeah uh, i i would like them to continue to receive the latitude to control what goes in the game um because i think they've been making largely decent decisions on that front yeah but devolver is the thing i'm wondering about Mm, yeah um you know devolver was the publisher that brought this to pc and to ps4 and you know we still know that it's coming to xbox and switch We don't know if it's going to be published by Devolver or if it's going to be published by Epic on those platforms. Um, I haven't seen any statement from Devolver yet about that, but I haven't looked. My suspicion from having read some stories is that it's probably going to be published by Epic because there has been conversation already about cross-play integration with those platforms, Mm. which to me suggests that they're probably going to launch with, hey, please use your Epic account to log into Fall Guys so you can play with your cross-platform friends. I know that people don't like the Epic Game Store and, you know, Epic in general. And yeah, I also see them as a corporate overlord. However, I think that Steam's been sitting on its ass too much. Yeah. And I enjoy... That, you know, it's not annoying like Origin or whatever. This is a, it's not like all the same games from one publisher, but you have to install a new app. I like that they do provide me with access to free games that I wouldn't have otherwise tried. I like um, that it makes, it's hopefully going to make Steam actually try again to do anything. It is possible (laughs) to simultaneously you know, be glad that there is something competing against Steam and to appreciate, like, free games? Fuck it, I'll take them. Yeah. And also be like, 
Epic is a corporate behemoth that is trying to do a lot of strong arming right now. I mean, the cynical take on it is that, you know, well, the reason it doesn't have all of the problems that Steam and those other platforms have had is that they haven't implemented them yet. And they're on the roadmap, you know, like being able to put multiple products into a cart and have one transaction, you know, little things like that that Epic lacks. Mm. I, I think that is kind of, that, that is actually, I think, the bigger kind of complaint grumble that you can have is that they're just sort of coming in here and they're not actually making an effort to deliver a better product than Steam. So from my perspective, I feel like Epic has done a really good job appealing to a new type of gamer. Well, not a new type of gamer, but a gamer who's always been there, as in like they have taken in Ooblets and other games that I had been following and they promoted them and they gave them money for stuff and for games that usually most publishers would overlook. And I like the rise of cute games, cute, wholesome games. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think it's great. And I think it's good that, you know, Epic is publishing a lot of independent content. But, you know, again, that doesn't mean I can ignore the other stuff, too. Right. Oh, I am not asking you to do that at all. I was just like thinking like. It's cool that they're they're trying to compete with Steam by appealing to a different type of market that's largely not been paid attention to. That is true. Like it does feel like they are actively engaging in opening up a market segment and demonstrating that it exists. Yeah. Yeah. And by no means, like when I say things that are positive, it's not me trying to erase the negative. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. But I also think that they're not the only ones out there doing that. Like, I don't like Humble that much either. If I'm totally honest, mm. you know, after they, you know, sort of went through their acquisition thing and it got a little bit weird. But they have also consistently published a lot of, of that niche yeah. cute stuff. Um, you don't see as much of it from Devolver because they tend to be a little bit edgier, but every once in a while you'll get something from them that's just like, oh shit, yeah, it's adorable. I'm just really appreciating the direction that the games market is taking because when I was like, even in my like 20 years old, I was scared to even say I was a woman on the internet. And now I get to like go on TikTok and watch all of these young women openly talk like, yeah, I have a gaming setup. And yeah, I do only play The Sims 3 on it. <laughs> and the, oh. nobody is like mad about it or calling them a fake gamer. And even if they do, they just go, I don't care. And I that I'm just so happy that young women get to have that. I love that we live in a world where wholesome direct is Happy a thing that happens that. a few times a year <laughs> where it's just like, hey, here's just wholesome, nice, sweet video games that you can learn about. I like I like a bit of that. Right. Other stories, because we've got a few to get through still. Hogwarts Legacy. Oh, oh it's dear. time to talk about this again. Fuck Hogwarts Legacy. Fuck Hogwarts Legacy, indeed. It's so, too late, bitch. You can't go back. Yeah, so let's get the story out on the table. Uh, there was a story from Bloomberg that essentially boils down to Jason Chario over at Bloomberg has heard from several staff working at WB Games that uh, Hogwarts Legacy will be getting quote-unquote a trans character creator. Now, we'll get into that in a second. But apparently this has been pushed for internally by people at the studio who feel really shitty about the fact they're working on a game attached to a big turf and are trying to put something trans positive in the game to try and, you know, make up for it. Well, good for them. I appreciate the fact that not every... Look, you don't always get to choose what you work on. Yep. 
and you know doing trying to make the best of a bad situation i can appreciate that and thank you to those people who pushed for that but because we've got to get to the but. <laughs> so first of all first of all this has been in headlines talked about as a trans character creator i think that very much oversells what this is from the bloomberg reporting it seems that you will have essentially three things that you can mix and match you can have a voice that is masculine or feminine a body type that is masculine or feminine, and uh, you can be a witch or a wizard, which will put you into um, binary gendered dormitories. So this is far from the first video game to ever allow for certain character creation aspects to not be locked to gender. Yeah. Um, there are games that go much further in this regard than this. And let's say this Bloomberg report is accurate and this is the the full extent of what they mean by a trans character creator. You start getting into like, okay, can you have a non-binary character? What stage of this process is picking your pronouns? And once you start realizing like clearly none of that has been thought about, even if it's the intentions behind putting it in there are positive, it feels like it is being sort of wedged in to try and fix a problem when the actual solution to the problem is WB Games Will you please just say that transphobia is wrong, you do not support JK Rowling's views, and talk about your plan for will you be supporting her financially with more games in the future? Like, that's the actual problem, and this doesn't in any way fix that problem. <sighs> I I can't, I just genuinely, she's just just been mean. Just, just just straight up mean. And so now every yeah. time I like look at Hogwarts stuff, I don't have that little bit of happiness anymore. All I see in my mind is JK Rowling tweets. Yeah. Like I'm not even, it's just, I can't enjoy it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. I know that there are going to be some people who see this story. I saw this happening on Twitter this week. I saw people see this story and retweet it going, Ah, the the game's transpositive. Everything's okay. I don't have to boycott the game anymore. Well, no, you don't have to boycott the game at all. No, but I mean, I've seen people who were previously like, oh yeah, of course, I'll boycott the game to not support Rowling. Oh, well, apparently they're putting a trans character creator in. It's fixed now. And I'm like, it's really not... It's... This really doesn't change the fundamental problem still, but, you know, you do you. If any of y'all are looking for a book series that is fantasy and cool and good and not Harry Potter, I recommend the Tamir trilogy. The first book is the Bone Dolls Twin. It's about a magically trans princess. Heck yeah. It's awesome. I love it. And I read that book based on the recommendation of George R.R. R. Martin, because he was like, all the characters are in this are super cool and well-developed. It's got wizards who think you need to be a virgin to, be, to do magic. It's got blood magic. It's got a matriarchy. It's got a patriarchy and taking down the patriarchy. It's got all kinds of stuff. It's, it talks about all kinds of stuff, but still in fantasy setting, and I think it's cool. I will use this time to once again recommend Ickenfell. It's a really cool little top-down uh, RPG set in a magic school. It has a bunch of LGBT characters in it, and it's really lovely and sweet and well worth playing. But yeah... Let's not oversell what this character creator is. Look, this would be a very different conversation if the news was, hey, the game's going to have a canonically trans character who will actively spend the game, you know, being supported and fighting to take down the evil villain who is a transphobe. Maybe that'd be a different conversation. But like, look, 
WB Games just fucking take a stance and say, hey, transphobia is bad. Like, that's the starting point that we want. Uh, uh, the news stories. Ah, this has been a mess of a story. The developers of the game The Sinking City have accused their publisher of pirating the game and tricking Steam into uploading it. I... What? Yeah, right? Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's amazing. Everything that was in that sentence, you didn't hear it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like I didn't get it, but now I do. Okay, okay, so this is a story that goes back a couple of years. So Frogwares is the developer of the Sinking City and Nacon Nason is the the publisher. Back in 2019, the short version is that the developer filed a lawsuit back in 2019 because the publisher was withholding milestone payments and owed about a million dollars in unpaid royalties. Oh my and gosh. Was trying to copyright the game under the developer's feet to basically steal the IP. Then, August of 2020, the developer pulls the game off sale, basically being like, hey, until this lawsuit is dealt with, we don't want anyone buying this game. Because it's just funding the publisher. Yeah, we don't want money going into the publisher who we are currently fighting to get unpaid royalties from. So this has been going back and forth for a while in the courts. Allegedly, Nason, the publisher... Well, there was... Okay, so there was a ruling against Frogwares. Yes. Um, because they couldn't... Uh, it was it was deemed that they weren't allowed to have pulled it from the store. And so that made it possible for Nacon to publish it. But Frogwares wasn't providing them with, I guess, the Final code. That's my assumption on this. Yeah, if I may. Um, there's just a statement that came out 53 minutes ago from yes, Nason. Ha- oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to it. it. It showed up while we were recording. Yeah. So from from what we can tell, the details publicly are kind of fuzzy, but it seems like Frogwares was like, "No, we're not going to give you the code to publish this. You're just going to hold our money." Yeah. So the publisher pirated a copy of the game and managed to get <laughs> well, it into... I think they purchased it. I think they purchased a copy of the game from a storefront. And, like, got rid of the DRM so that they could submit it to Steam? Yeah, like, they, they made some changes to it, and now they... The Frogwares made a video, which I have yet to watch because I just didn't have time this morning to watch yeah. it, that uh, supposedly sort of explains how, you know, what they think was done um, or what they're alleging was done here. Imagine being hired for that or like your boss calls you into the office and you're a programmer and you're just doing whatever and they're like, yeah, I want you to do this illegal pirating thing. And they're like, okay, boss. Whatever. It's like one of those crazy ideas that the boss comes up with, and they're like, that's illegal in eight different ways. And they're like, just do it. It's fine. They think they, you know, I think in a lot of uh, sense, they think that this is their property, like that they own this as a result of the publishing agreement, and that the developer is obstructing their ability to profit from their asset, which from their point of view is factually true. However, it probably is a violation of the contract to alter the code and publish it uh, in that way. So 
the story has evolved since we started recording the show today. So, like, the last update before the show started was Frogwares had tweeted, uh, like, hey, do not buy the copy of our game that is on Steam because we did not authorize that to exist. The publisher has somehow put it on Steam. Don't buy it. So the new update that I saw at the start of the show was that um, the developer has now filed a DMCA notice oh, to no. Steam forcing Valve to take the game off of Steam knowing that it may only be a temporary fix but they're basically trying to buy themselves some time while they work out what to do about this wow. right so Frogwares issued a comment uh, explaining its DMCA takedown move saying it revolved around Nason's alleged use of content it does not have the rights yeah, to yeah I, mean, I mean that's a solid that is one of the most if everything transpired in the, you know, in the way that it is being alleged by Frogwares yeah then that is one of the most ironclad rock solid DMCA takedown requests I've ever heard of. Yeah, so apparently the the ruling uh, is still being contested by Frogwares. So like, yeah, the publisher Nason is like, oh, we can put it up because that we were ruled against. Uh, the, um, Frogwares was ruled against, and Frogwares is like, no, we're still fighting it in the courts until the the legal fight's done. You cannot publish it. The DMCA basically seemingly exists to be like, give us time to go back to the courts and go, wait. The this is ongoing. Why did they publish it? Uh, so yes, responding to Frogwares' tweet from last week, Nason accused the developer of playing the victim. Playing? Playing the victim. I mean, okay. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know what? This is a dispute. I'm sure. I'm sure Nason has a, their own perspective, yeah. and it can be very challenging in these sorts of situations. To, you know, in terms of what you can and can't say and things like that. And my impulse is always to say the money men are lying scum. And that can be true. And Frogwares is in the wrong. Both of those things can happen. Yeah. So I don't want to like, oh, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mari, I wanted to check. Um, was there more to this that you had seen? Because you'd seen a link. Was I, I know I'd seen this update too. I know I saw it on their Twitter and then I clicked on the link to look at it. And, you know, if someone says blah, blah, blah is playing the victim, I am always 100% sure that the person who said playing the victim is actually the asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Every time. I, let's go back to our good friends Epic Games for a moment. I'm not a games journalist, so I'm allowed to, <laughs> to say whatever. <laughs> Let's go back to our good um, friend Epic Games and their yeah. ginning up of populist support over Fortnite and yeah. the Apple Store. There's, I'm wary of anybody being a good guy. I will say this as well. In Nason's statement, they say, Frogwares has been playing the victim. We've paid the studio more than 10 million euros to date, which sounds like, well, that's probably a true fact. Have you paid them the money you were supposed to is the question. Yeah, that is, that's a good, yeah. interesting thing to leave out. Throwing out a big number and being like, but we've paid them this much. They didn't answer, answer the, the question. question. No. Right. <laughs> yeah, so that's a whole evolving story. Life pro tip. If anyone ever answers your question by going like, well, if I did that, would that be true? No, they have to say yes yeah. or no. 
If they don't answer the question, they're lying. If you want to buy The Sinking City right now, you should probably buy it on Switch or PlayStation 5, where the game is published by Frogwares. By Switch and PlayStation 5? Yep, on those platforms it is published by Frogware and is currently still on sale, so... The only other story I wanted to mention in passing, just because it's a thing that I experienced this week and I feel like people should go check it out because it's a thing, Pokemon had its 25th anniversary last week, and, you know, they had a they had a press conference, they showed off some open-world Pokemon games and stuff like that. That's cool. What I want to talk about is the Post Malone Pokemon concert that happened last week. For anyone who doesn't know Post Malone, he is a man with a lot of face tattoos who sort of mumbly raps, and he's apparently very popular. I could not tell you any of his songs. His songs are pretty good. They make me feel very relaxed. Having watched this thing... His his music did sound all right. There was there was nothing bad about his music. His music does not seem to be terribly. Um, I wouldn't have put his music next to Pokemon. Really? Why? <laughs> so there's one particular clip uh, that is circling around. Uh, Gene Park on Twitter has done a big uh, a tweet that's gone pretty big on this. There's a moment where Digital Post Malone is flying on what looks like just a tortilla, <laughs> surrounded by Pokemon. You know, Lugie is flying past him. And he's talking about how, you know, he was in a relationship with someone who thought like, ah, oh, you thought I was into you and that we were special. No, I was just here for the sex, <laughs> which is a weird. It's a yeah. The line yeah. is you thought that it was special, but it was just the sex, though. And it's weird to see that. While Lugia flies past, oh, like, yeah. hey. No, he's narrating what Lugio is thinking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this whole thing, I would recommend watching the full 15-minute thing. At one point, he stops to, like, sing a love ballad to a slugma, which is a, a lava slug. And he just, like, sings a love ballad to a lava slug for a bit. Well, this is, this is not the only Post Malone Pokemon content this week, is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Along to announce this event, there is a video of Post Malone covering Hootie and the Blowfishes. Oh, I only yes. want to be with you. Yes, but with um one of the Pokemon City theme tunes in the background mixed in. Right, which is a thing. And, yeah. You know, just longtime fans of my good friend Jonathan Holmes will know how much my good friend Jonathan Holmes loves Hootie and the Blowfishes, <laughs> I Only Want to Be With You. Uh, it's the subject of one of their podcast episodes of The Worst Song on Earth. <laughs> Uh, Tangled Up in You, I believe, is the name of the uh, episode, which I was very offended by because I thought they were making the Bob Dylan reference, and that's a damn good song. Uh, and one of the only songs Bob Dylan wrote, he should also be allowed to sing. <laughs> anyway, that's just a, a little a little side thing. I just wanted to make sure people knew that I was thinking of Johnny. I was thinking of my sweet Johnny boy. Uh, well, if you want to spend 15 minutes being very confused as a man gets attacked by a Charizard while singing about sex, that's a thing you can watch. And I feel I'm glad I watched it. I don't know how to process it. Now I've seen it, but I'm glad I did. It, there are worse ways I could have spent 15 minutes. I have one important question. It's been on my mind for years, okay? And now that I know that Post Malone is a gamer, now that he's collaborated in a Pokemon <laughs> music video something, I don't know. He just, like, maybe he just really likes Pokemon. Like, if someone was like, hey, Mari, do you want to do a concert surrounded by Pokemon? I would absolutely say yes. Oh, I 100% understand. Like, I'm not questioning 
him saying yes to this, I'm questioning why, why the Pokemon company were like... Yeah, how did this... Because yeah, the, <laughs> the Pokemon company are, like Nintendo in general... Pretty conservative. Famously very family, all audiences, like, nothing gets through the family filter. Here's the thing. When you listen to Post Malone, it feels so good that you think it's wholesome. I've ne- I've listened to that song. Never once have I noticed that it was actually about just having sex with someone with no feelings. Every I'm just like, yeah, man, <laughs> totally. But yeah, <laughs> my main question here is: Is Post Malone named after Postmaster Malone from Vanilla World of Warcraft in that one dungeon? I must know. And this is the largest <laughs> platform. I feel like I can ask. Like this has the largest network. So if anybody, or maybe just in mass, people just ask him, are you named after Post Malone? Because he's the right age to have that been, like, a part of his childhood. And it's a really, like, obscure reference. But it's, it, the name is so close that I'm like, it must be. Like, maybe he played Vanilla World of Warcraft as a child and he saw that and he was like, I'm Post Malone. I don't care if that's true or not. I want to believe in that. I need so to know. I, I choose. I choose to not question that series of events. If we do not ask in mass, can we make that unofficially canon until one day he is forced? I think until we hear otherwise, I think that's that's canon now. All right, can we all like spread that like on Twitter and stuff? I heard on a very popular video game podcast that uh, Post Malone's named after a World of Warcraft character, Postmaster Malone. Yes, it's yeah. true. Actually, I have heard it from him personally that he did. Oh. So. oh. It's a fact. Put that on as a Wikipedia. Mari, if people wanted to witness you <gasps> spreading the word of Post Malone, <laughs> where would they do that? Uh, at my Twitter, at Geek Remix, or on Twitch, Geek Remix, or YouTube, Geek Remix. And sometimes I shit post on TikTok, but that's all cringe. You don't want that. Unless you do. Because being cringe is free. You do. Go, go, go. Geek Remix everywhere. Yeah, and also just one lesson, you know, if you're ever worried about being cringe, don't be. Because someone's always going to be a butthead to you. And you may be cringe, but you're also free of societal expectations. So, always be cringe. Hell yeah. Also, you do you do Pixel Squirt and oh, you're yeah. going to be on Dice Funk next season. Yeah, I'm on Pixel Squirt and do Dice Funk. I've been trying to chill, but now I'm getting back into things, so... I'm pretty happy. Hell yeah. You can find me at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. Uh, I Twitch stream Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays at 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. Uh, every Friday I upload episodes of Accessibility, which is a show all about accessibility and representation in the games industry. You should check out the Jimquisition on Mondays, which I now do the subtitles and closed captions for. So if, if you are someone who needs closed captions for those videos, they have them now. Also, there's books. Uncomfortable Labels, that's out now. Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, that's out now. Gender Euphoria is coming out on June 10th, 2021, so that's like three months away now. We signed off on all the cover design today. It is on its way to the printers. It's happening. Also, podcasts. I'm on Pixel Squirt, which we already mentioned. Queer and Pleasant Strangers, where I talk about things that aren't video games sometimes. And Dice Funk. I'm on seasons three, four, Four, five, six, seven, and starting on Sunday, season eight. If you've enjoyed me and Mari this week, go check out season eight of Dice Funk. It's a self-contained story. You can jump into season eight, episode one, and we'll tell you everything you need to know. It's a D and D podcast. You know who else has previously been on Dice Funk? 
Conrad. Oh, that's true. That's true. You could also find me on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. You could hang out with me on Twitch. Uh, my schedule's currently making an adjustment period, but uh, just do a good twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. Go follow it and it'll tell you when I'm live. Um, let's see. You could buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks at conradreads.com. Um, you could also hear me on Boston's Favorite Son when we next get around to recording an episode of that. Uh, and uh, the new podcast, Let's Talk About Snacks, where I talk <gasps> about snacks with Lauren Morgan and Linda Camiolo. And it is just a, a nice, fun, light, good snacky time. You'll be pleased to know that at least one reference to that show made it into season eight episode one of dice funk <laughs> oh that's good that's good i hope we can maintain that trend of just keeping those <laughs> those uh plugs popping up in dice it's funk. like the marvel universe right you know? yeah exactly oh and you can support me on patreon patreon.com slash fist shark jim also has a patreon that supports <gasps> the gymquisition and the podquisition and all of the things that they're up to and you can check that out at patreon.com slash gymquisition and you can also watch them on twitch once their back gets to be feeling better and well wishes to 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 them and hope they recover soon that's a twitch.tv slash jim sterling and thanks everyone for listening i guess bye thank you bye